0: And welcome back to the X-Zone, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, live and around the world on the X-Zone Broadcast Network and on Talk Stream Live. If you'd like to send an email, Exxon at exxon TV.com or to the studio where I am sitting right now, studio at xzoneradiotv.com. Check us out on all the social media sites, and you can actually join the X-Zone Facebook group by going to facebook.com forward slash groups, forward slash X-Zone Radio Show, and our website, xzoneradio.com. My guest this hour is no stranger to the X-Zone. Dale Kaczmarek is our guest. He is the president of Ghost Research Society, director of Excursions into the Unknown, Inc., the only year-round bus tour of haunted Chicagoland locations. He's the founder of Ghost Research Society Press, producing high-quality books on the paranormal since 2004. He's also the executive producer of Ghosts Across America, lecturer, researcher, and teacher of workshops and seminars and ghost hunting techniques. His website ghostresearch.org. And, uh, Dale, welcome back to the X-Zone. How is it in Chicagoland? Are you still getting spooky?
2: Getting spooky and getting steamed out here with the heat.
0: Oh, my gosh. Hey, d- d- here's a question that I bet you've never been asked, my friend. Is weather a factor when it comes to ghost hunting? Do ghosts prefer... Certain weather over others, for example, uh, in this hot, steamy weather that is being experienced right across Canada and the United States, are ghosts more active or less active?
2: I don't think they're actually even either more or less active, but we have sometimes found that there may be lunar implications often associated with ghost activity or even solar activity. Uh, In the the case, uh, when we go out to do investigations, uh, whether it be a private home or a, a Uh, Public place or state of business. Um, We always look at the um, uh, the websites for the various uh, geomagnetic activity that may be produced by the sun, Mm. Uh, sun flares, solar prominences, which uh, very often uh, react upon, uh, can cause reactions in the sensitive equipment we do do use. And of course, there's always you know there's always been that old adage that uh, you know you know things around the full moon look kind of crazy, and that's where the the term lunacy comes from it's from, you know, obviously from the lunar yeah. uh, of the moon. And there has been some correlation uh, between both solar activity sometimes and even uh, lunar, uh, lunar phases.
0: I know that from being in law enforcement and my wife being in the medical field, that during the full moon period, there was, as far as my job in the cop you know things happened strange things happen during a full moon and of course my wife would be the first one to tell you that in the medical community they see more accidents during the full moon than they do any other time of the uh... lunar cycle
2: absolutely and that's been something that's been going on for as long as the moon's been hanging in our sky Mm. pretty much Uh, i don't know if it has something to do with the you know, a gravitational tug that, the, you know, the, the moon being closer or further away that has something to do with, uh, you know, re- reacting for, you know, people's own psyche that causes them to uh, kind of go off the deep end, or if it's something that we just don't understand.
0: Well, from what I understand, it's all based on the moon's pull. For example, the moon is moon causes the tides. And because we are mostly comprised of water that we also are affected by the moon's pull.
2: It makes sense. Uh, it definitely does make sense. I mean, yeah. we're, we're, you know, 70% water. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, obviously if, uh, you know, the, the moon can actually affect the tidals, you know, tidal yep. waves and ocean currents and so forth, I mean, it surely would have some sort of minute effect, you know, to a smaller degree, I guess, on, you know, to human beings.
0: Dale, for those of you who haven't, uh, for those of our listeners who haven't had the pleasure of hearing you before on the show, tell us what got you into doing the work that you're doing as a ghost hunter and as one of the lead um, researchers in the field.
2: Well, it's something I started way back in uh, 1975. In fact, actually, my, my interest goes all the way back to childhood, actually. My parents telling me ghost stories when I was a youngster, and that's what really kind of got me involved. Uh, there's some very famous ghost stories here in the Chicagoland area, uh, one being Resurrection Mary of a hitchhiking ghost story, and that's always been something I've been always kind of fascinated with is the idea of you know, the the folklore kind of getting involved with ghost, ghost research. But mm-hmm. my parents telling me ghost stories when I was a youngster, kind of growing up later in life and trying to find out if these stories I was told as a youngster were simply, you know, old wives' tales or legends of things of that nature. Started a group back in 1977, which is still running strong today, called the Ghost Research Society. It's one of the longest standing groups in America. And uh, we started out with just a a bunch of uh, several individuals of like-minded individuals that had an interest in this field. And it, it just kind of ballooned from that point, getting uh, getting more, attracting more uh, curiosity, uh, started to do some lectures around the Chicagoland area, uh, the bus tours in 1982, kind of generated a lot of interest, especially, uh, of course, after the, the movie Ghostbusters came out, too, as well. So I think, you know, all of this kind of uh, helped uh, my career, basically, in the field. Uh, and, of course, these TV shows that we see nowadays, uh, you, some are not as good as others, and I won't mention who they are, but I mean... You know, it has had an impact on the people entering into the field of the paranormal.
0: Yes, it certainly has. It certainly has. I, uh, there's a question that that came to mind the last time you were on the show, and I, I wrote it down. And I'm so happy you're with us tonight, because I'd like to, add, uh, to throw this question to you and get your reasoning. I can understand how a ghost may be formed when something traumatic happens and the there's an imprint of the physical body based on the composition of our bodies and the fact that you know the electromagnetic fields and so on okay i can understand that but if that's the case why aren't ghosts naked why do they we always wear clothes when clothes are not part of what would be imprinted in the in the in the electromagnetic field causing the apparition or the ghost?
2: Well, there's there's several different uh, trains of thought on that. Okay. Basically, number one, if there's there's two main categories we kind of place ghosts into: the residual category, as you mentioned, which is kind of like a tape loop. Yeah. Uh, there's no real intelligence; it's basically a psychic imprint of something tragic that's happened in the past. And then you have what well, we. Term the intelligent ghost or intelligent haunt, where there actually is interaction between the living and, and the dead. Uh, they actually see us. They can interact with us through you know EVPs, mm-hmm. through uh, touching you know uh, cold spots, uh, you know actually hearing sounds and voices and so forth. When we deal with the intelligent ghost, and for for the most part, it's usually through interactions through such things, devices like digital recorders, you know cameras, where we get you know physical evidence and where we actually get some sort of interaction, the idea of the residual haunt, the residual ghost, is basically being something that has imprinted itself in the fabric of time and space because of some sort of tragedy that's happened in the past. And if we're looking at maybe some sort of psychic imprint, what are we actually looking at? Are we looking at something that, uh, number one, has happened in the past? Or are we looking like through the looking glass, sort of like, Uh, kind of opening up a doorway, if you will, and kind of looking back at a scene of time and reason in the past. And that's where a lot of uh, researchers are kind of split on that. Uh, That's the reason why spirits, ghosts, if you will, would have clothes on and not be running around naked, because you're actually seeing an image of something in the past and not necessarily the spirit of that person being actually there. It's kind of like Mm -hmm. opening up the blinds of a movie theater and looking at, Something behind the scenes
0: all right but if that is the case and we are looking at something from the past is this ghost intelligible can we communicate with it
2: normally no not the residual hunt mm-hmm. in, in, in cases that I've investigated and um, places that I've been to and people I've talked to when we have this kind of residual activity it's very often very low key stuff It's things like, uh, first of all, sounds are most prevalent. So you would hear maybe a repetition of somebody walking up and down the stairs, maybe slamming doors, maybe the sound of, you know, pots and pans rattling in the kitchen, things that people might have done normally in their lifetime, but they're simply the sounds of these events taking place. Uh, It could be also perhaps the residual nature of a smell that suddenly appears and disappears. That's very, very common to people that might be in the area, that might be their their father's cologne their their mother's perfume something of that nature it could even be a a temperature variance of temperatures inside the room because of cold spots and again these things are not interactive as as far as you know communicating with us it's just an indication of kind of a byproduct that something is there
0: all right so if we're looking at the past or a a vision of the past. Does this bring us into the multiverse, the multiple-dimensional aspects of the new sciences that we're looking at? And do you think that the new sciences will help us better understand the the phenomena called ghosts?
2: Well, uh, you know, they can very well sometimes be interdimensional. That's, a number of researchers have brought it up in the field in the past. A uh, very famous Fortean researcher, John Keel, who wrote the book uh, The Mothman Prophecies and Strange Creatures Mm -hmm. in Time and Space, very well-known researchers, particularly during the UFO flaps of the 60s and 70s, uh, said in several of his books that he noticed that at locations where people had had a UFO flap, uh, a a tremendous amount of UFO activity in a very small area, Mm -hmm. he also noticed at that same time that there uh, there was an upscale surge of poltergeist activity, Hauntings and even Bigfoot activity, as though some sort of inter- interdimensional doorway was opened up. Everything kind of came in, and then after a while, that doorway reopened. They went out, they slammed behind them, and everything pretty much ceased. So again, it may go into that aspect of the paranormal of you know interdimensional beings that we're looking at. Don John Keel call them ultra dimensionals.
0: How close do you think that we are, based on your experience? to actually getting the definitive answer that all ghost researchers are looking for?
2: Uh, well, the one thing I'm looking for, obviously, is the reason I got involved in the appeal was to, to prove the existence of life after death. Mm-hmm. And I, feel, I felt that through the use of equipment and through investigating, if we could prove that there were ghosts... We could prove that, obviously. If there's definitively proof to scientists and you know, you know, social media and whatever, that there were ghosts actually existed, then they pretty much proved the existence of life after death. And the um, the increase of technology today, with all the equipment that's coming out today, uh, designed by very, very bright minds, I think uh, if we're not right there, I mean, we're pretty darn close to being able to prove. You know or at least come up with a lot more you know interactions with ghosts than mm-hmm. we were say ten years ago or even five years ago uh, it's just it just leaps and bounds so i would I would venture a guess that uh within the next ten years maybe maybe ten or fifteen years there's going to be some major major breakthrough either through the use of equipment or something that really sets science on their on, in the head you know, turning in a head spin
0: but why don't you think the scientific community hasn't already gotten behind the the research that's being done by the independents, uh, like yourself,
2: because scientists uh, very often, uh, you know, they they want stuff to be that that can be replicated, mm-hmm. that can be examined under laboratory conditions. Um, you can't invite a, a spirit or a ghost into a laboratory and say, "Okay, now you're going to perform for us," so now you're going to be able to be studied. Uh, ghosts are very sometimes a very spontaneous thing. They don't always appear or or even show up. Uh, in many investigations we've been on, we've gotten absolutely nothing. Uh, so it's really kind of the roll of the dice, whether or not you're going to get something. And scientists basically need that. I think they're very, um, you know, fabulous in some aspect, that they really need some sort of physical proof that they can replicate, show, uh... in the laboratory under laboratory conditions and and if you're looking at that avenue it's never going to be proven through science
0: you you said that the reason why you and other researchers do what you do because you're looking for definitive proof of life after death correct but there are those there are millions upon millions if not billions of people on this planet already who do believe that there is life after death that's because of their philosophical religious beliefs so I don't understand, are you doing this research for those who do not follow any religious doctrine that there is life after death? Or are you using the research that you're doing to complement or to, to further prove the existence of life after death and that these philosophical religious uh, beliefs are indeed correct?
2: think it's a combination of both. I mean, the the reason I I started into this was to, to, you know, I was curious about Mm -hmm. what light beyond death's door, and I think everybody is. I mean, they always say it's it's in faith, it's in your belief in faith uh, that there is going to be a life after death, and nobody can prove that unless they've They've come back, you know, it, there have been people that have come back from the dead. They had near-death experiences and so forth. Um, you know, scientists will yeah. say that was d- due to, you know, chemicals in the brain, mm-hmm. uh, you, know, you know, whatever you're being pumped with at the time, you know, uh, all kind of different uh, neurons firing that might have sent, you know, caused you to see like you're going through a tunnel of light. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, I'm doing it basically, you know, for not only those people that have had religious experiences, that have had, uh, you know, contacts with ghosts. But also to bring something to the scientific community that they might be able to look at, you know, you know, evidence that we we've, we've captured throughout the years that they might be able to finally say, well, there's something to this and take a better look.
0: Well, what has the scientific community said thus far based on the research that you've brought them?
2: Well, again, um, when you say scientists, and that's that's kind of a again a kind of a nebulous term. I mean, the scientific community in general. Mm-hmm. Does not truly believe that there's really anything to the 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 aspect of the paranormal, and it's really uh, in, in papers I've written and uh, lectures I've done at, at colleges and and in front of uh, you know academians and so forth. Uh, it, it basically it doesn't really kind of sink home. Uh, again, they're looking at something more of a physical thing that they can examine. Uh, what we're looking at something that's more subjective that may be not maybe. Uh, you can, you can gather information, you can gather evidence, but again, the evidence that we've gathered have not been under their conditions, under their, you know, their restrictions and um, um, the way they run their business, so to speak. So mm-hmm. it's not always something that the scientific community is going to jump up and say, okay, you got this great, great evidence that, uh, wow, all of a sudden, okay, there's ghosts. It's just not going to be that way. Uh, I've actually had skeptics involved in, in my work in the past. I've actually had uh, scientists and uh, doctors and nurses and other people uh, involved with my work. And again, um, whether they've even sometimes even had paranormal experiences or had contacts with things in our investigations, but again, they always seem to come up with some sort of rational explanation. Well, it was just this, it was just that. Where I'm more open, I think that's the the thing that differentiates me from the scientific community, is I keep a very open mind to what might be, we might pick up, might discover at a location, where they're more of, show us the proof, show us something that we can examine, and uh, that we can replicate.
0: Besides the fact that, you know, to determine the fact whether or not there is life after death, if in fact... It is proven that there is life after death because of the research that ghost researchers like yourself are doing. What happens after that? What happens to ghost hunting, the paranormal? Does it cease to exist?
2: Oh no, I think it would. I, I think it would definitely continue. I mean, uh, I, I believe, uh, I truly believe that I've had contacts with spirits through EVP sessions through real time devices that we can actually hear responses in real mm. time. I believe that. Uh, I've actually seen uh, several dozen ghosts in my lifetime. Uh, I've had experiences where I've actually been touched. I, I, I've had um, what I believe is, is you know, pretty hardcore evidence that I believe that something has interacted with me and people in our group. And I think just because we prove that to the scientific community and to the world in general, I think that, that wouldn't stop. I mean, by, by any means, that, that would be, I would, I would assume that science would then get on board with their technology and hopefully be able to build better machinery, better equipment to figure out what mm-hmm. exactly they're communicating with and to bridge the gap from this side to the other. Uh, people even like uh, even like Edison for a while had a device, or supposedly had a device that he was going to uh, devise to communicate with the dead, and yeah. that guy like uh, Thomas Edison, who was a very well-known inventor, a genius in his own uh, aspect, believed it was a possibility of life after death that he could communicate with something it needs to be opened up to the general community and the scientific community to kind of open up their eyes to also that possibility as well.
0: Do we really need to know if there's life after death?
2: I think a lot of people are very curious about it, because um, I think a lot of people are, are very terrified of, about dying, mm-hmm. uh, that they, they believe that you know they're, they're finite, uh, that they're basically what we live here on Earth is pretty much the end of it, especially those that are agnostic or atheist. Um I, I, I think people would feel more comforted knowing that there is a continuation of your consciousness, if nothing else, your, your energies, your, your soul, if you will, that, that, that leaves the body at the time of death and doesn't uh, um, you know, just kind of flow away to oblivion, but somehow is actually uh, goes to some other side, to the other side of some kind, uh, altered state of consciousness or higher uh, evolution of consciousness or something of that nature and i think that would be more comforting to people knowing that to have that knowledge in hand
0: but well, what would happen if you were able to prove that life does go on after death and people tried to communicate with those that those they had lost and they could not communicate for one reason or another how do we know that communication would in fact be available to one and all
2: well, that's the, that's the thing we, we don't know, unfortunately, and we don't always know that uh, you can always communicate with everybody you try to communicate with, mm-hmm. uh, and this is in, very evident in, in research that we've done in the past 40-plus years that I've been doing this in the field. Uh, places we've gone to where we know specific people have died here uh, at certain locations, we know their the background, we know the information, we know their first and last names, we know a lot about these people, and yet these people just simply don't come through, and uh or they lived here for a very, very long time and, uh, and died in this home, or a, a tragedy happened here, um, you, you would think that if you know, this, the spot where the person's soul left their body and, and supposedly uh, you know, they, they, they perished at that mm-hmm. point, that would be the location uh, that you would hope to be able to communicate with something uh, because that's where they last touched the ground in human form.
0: But how do we know the soul leaves at the time of death?
2: We don't really know that, and that's something that we've been trying to prove for many years. I mean, there, uh, scientists, uh, doctors, I won't say scientists, uh, strike actually doctors have, mm-hmm. have said that uh, and, uh, there, there is a minute amount of weight that is actually lost when the person has passed. It's, it's a, a weight loss that they have actually been able to weigh. In, uh, in the operating rooms, in, in hospital beds, mm. so a very, very, you know, very small amount. That's, that's, it's not so much you're exhaling, it's, it's just basically a loss of bodily fluids, but something else that they believe has left the body. So, I mean, um, this is what I've been striving for, and I'm sure a lot of other researchers in the field are striving for, is to bridge that gap from this side to the other and make some sort of, you know, steadfast communication. Sure.
0: Dale, stand by. You and I have to take our news break with Amanda Kern at the bottom of the hour, our sweetheart in Sydney, Nova Scotia. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. Dale Kaczmarek is our very special guest, a good friend of the Exxon. His website is ghostresearch.org. And uh, we'll both be back on the other side of this break with the news as we continue investigating the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology right here in the Exxon. Don't go away. own broadcast network www.xzbn.net radio's authority on the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology celebrating 25 years of broadcasting broadcasting around the world and to the great beyond
1: this is news from the For the first time ever, NASA's Cassini spacecraft has spotted deep gorges and complex river systems flooded with super cold liquid methane on Saturn's largest moon, Titan. This is the only other planetary body in our entire solar system known to have naturally occurring liquid on its surface. NASA spokesman David Lum explains that upward movements in the terrain caused by earthquakes could send liquid punching deeply down, like it did our own Grand Canyon, or variations in the sea level could have increased the river's rate of erosion, like it did in the formations of Lake Powell, which runs off the Colorado River. It is likely that a combination of these forces contributed to the formation of the deep canyons, but at present, it's not clear to what degree each was involved. Cassini will complete its 20-year mission sometime next year, but hopefully before then, it will receive more information from the canyon area. Scientists have discovered a minor planet that exists past Neptune, and while it is an exciting find, it provides more questions than answers. Nicknamed NICU, it orbits the sun on a plane that's tilted 110 degrees to the plane of the solar system, and it is currently above the plane and rising higher, which will eventually start lowering as it orbits back around in a retrograde or backwards orbit of the sun. NICU's orbit goes against the flow of pretty much everything else in the solar system, and on such an unnatural angle, astrophysicist Matthew Hallman from the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics says, It suggests that there's more going on in the outer solar system than we're fully aware of. Scientists theorize that the object must have come in collision with something else or was pulled off course by another gravitational source. But as for right now, nobody knows what this other object or group of objects could be. A strange new video posted online shows a mysterious red object zigzagging in the sky above the streets of Paris. At first, the couple that filmed the sighting thought it was just the street light until it became clear that it was much higher than the other streetlights, and as they zoomed in, the fiery light disappeared. The footage emerged just days after people claimed NASA footage showed a golden UFO hovering above the Earth's atmosphere, which has many viewers claiming this grainy footage is just the latest proof that aliens are visiting our planet. Check out the video at our Facebook page at Rob McConnell's Exxon Radio Show and tell us what you think. I'm Amanda Curran, news from the Exxon.
0: with Corey K Weekly here on the Exome Broadcast Network. From the world of computers to the ever-popular computerized gadgetry that are becoming part of our everyday life and living and society. From kids and their gaming devices, teens and their smartphones, to the applications of personal and business computers. From hardware to software, from standalone units to network computers. Join high-tech guru Corey K. weekly right here on the Exome Broadcast Network as he takes on the topics that will be of use and great value to the international audience of the Exome Broadcast Network. High-tech with Corey K. weekly ends at 9 p.m. Eastern only on the XOM broadcast network. www.xzbn.net And welcome back, everyone. The X-Zone with yours truly, Rob McConnell, from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. You can always join our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash x Radio Show. And you can send an email to studio at x Radio TV dot com. Our website ExonRadio.com. Dal Kazmerik is our special guest of this hour. www.ghostresearch.org. In in your opinion, based on the years that you've been doing the research, what was your 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 aha moment—the moment that you knew that what you were doing was real?
2: Well, I've had a lot of aha moments, actually. <laughs> Uh, through my through my research, but I guess um, one of the one of the most interesting encounters, and this is I guess fairly early. Uh, this is going back probably through the early 1980s or so, um, so you know, relatively early in my in my career. Um, I was out in uh, Southwest City, Missouri, uh, investigating a report of an apparition of a female that was seen in this cemetery on a nightly basis. Now, the thing that always bugged me about cemeteries is, you know, what would be, what would draw a spirit back to a, a gravestone where your earthly mm-hmm. remains are buried? Um, that I had a real problem with. Um, you know, there can be you know, other reasons, such as, you know, grave desecration, you know, rituals that have done out there, sometimes satanic in nature, uh, that could perhaps stir things up. Um, there was no history of this, apparently, but there was a report of a woman seen nightly making the rounds through the cemetery, mm-hmm. and uh, all the local people knew about it. So I was, uh, at that time, in Joplin, Missouri, investigating a spook light out there in Joplin, Missouri, a very famous ghost light, which I wrote a book on, um, and was not that far away, decided to head out to a southwest city Missouri and to try to find out what was going on. I was sure that most likely was... Uh, most likely a misinterpretation of the facts, or you know something that somebody just did not know what they were seeing, and probably was not a ghost at all because ghosts don't always, usually, show up every single night. So I went out to the location, uh, couldn't really find anybody that uh, I could actually have interviewed in the first person. It was always a, a friend of a friend who had seen this. Right. I became a little skeptical about what I had got myself into. I went out to the location anyway and began to uh, kind of look around. Generally, where they said this this spirit was supposed to to make the rounds at night, mm-hmm. and I was had I had a camera with me a thirty five millimeter thirty five millimeters camera, uh, with had some color infrared film, and the thing with infrared film it also picks up uh, frequencies and wavelengths that are not visible to the naked eye beyond our capability of seeing, and I've used that film successfully in other investigations. I've gotten some interesting results, so I went out there. Uh, began looking around, and this was around 8 o'clock in the evening. It was a summer evening, so the sun was still up for another you know, half hour, 45 minutes. It was still quite bright outside. And I actually saw what appeared to be a, a, a shape or a form, uh, more like a, a collection of fog or mist, actually. And uh, it, it's, some parts were very uh, translucent. Other parts were more visually opaque. You couldn't see through it. Uh, it seemed to be moving around uh, in an uncharacteristic fashion, uh, of course, being a scientific-minded person, you know, right away rattling through all the possibilities of what I'm actually seeing here or not seeing here. Was it, it wasn't cigarette smoke? I wasn't smoking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't even smoke back then. Uh, it wasn't the proper temper- temperature or humidity for ground fog to form. Um, it had not just rain. It wasn't humid outside. Um, so I decided to at least snap a picture of this and to uh, document it, and then later perhaps uh, look at what. Uh, I might have picked up on on the film. So I snapped the camera, snapped the picture, uh, snapped actually two, pulled the camera away from my eye. The fog was still there. And the way it disappeared was one of the most unusual ways I've ever seen anything disappear. It was like somebody had pulled a cork out of a bathtub. Uh, This little mist kind of spiraled down like a little white tornado into the ground and it was gone in an instant. Now, I never saw anything like that since that time uh, I could not you know, for the heck of me figure out what I had just seen yeah uh, when I finally got the film back when I got back to Chicago uh, I looked at the film uh, it, it did not show the mist which was unusual uh, usually when people take you know photographs of cameras and mm-hmm. so forth uh, they don't see the ghosts but the ghost will show up on the film this time I actually saw the ghost and the ghost didn't show up on the film just kind of the opposite but the entire area where this apparition or a ghost, whatever it was, was there. Now, it was kind of bathed in an eerie blue light, very uncharacteristic for the type of film I was using. Uh, was this the ghost that people had seen? I'm not sure. But whatever it was, it surely disappeared in a very uncharacteristic
0: fashion. You know, you and I were discussing earlier about the weight or the loss of weight, and uh, it, was, it was driving me crazy because I remembered I had a guest on the show we discussed, it, and it was Dr. Janice Amatuzio. She is a forensic pathologist. And she has confirmed more than once that at the time of birth, uh, I'm sorry, the time of death, there is a difference in weight of 21 grams. Okay. So are
2: yeah, I remember, we... I, I, I remember it's. Yeah. Not, I, if I remember the what I read about uh, somewhere, uh, somewhere on the internet or through mm-hmm. maybe a book that I had read somewhere, it wasn't a very, it's a very minute amount. It wasn't very much weight loss, but yeah. it was something that was measurable
0: 21 grams okay and that's been noted by a number of, uh, of physicians and pathologists so we're not talking about something here that is theoretical we're talking about something that has actually been scientifically documented
2: absolutely
0: yeah so when we when we when we start communicating with the other side how do we do that because we're you know it's like trying to communicate with an unknown species using a totally different type of communication system like how do they understand the voice how do they understand our reality if in fact they are not part of this living sphere anymore
2: um that's a good question um Again, if we're dealing with, and again, the only ones that would interact or be able to communicate with us are those that I consider those intelligent spirits, those ones that have, if you will, a surviving personality, uh, a soul, if you will, that has survived, uh, which I think we all do survive, mm-hmm. but I mean, that's it interacting with us at the time. And um, the idea has often been launched by you know a, a number of different scientific people in the community. Einstein said it very eloquently that energy cannot be created nor destroyed but it simply changes form Now, i don't think he was talking about ghosts generally he was just talking theoretical but a lot of his theories which are theories are now proven to be in, you know beyond theory they actually exist in science um the idea of communicating with somebody uh and getting their voice on tape goes all the way back to the time um of uh, Dr. Constantine Radovay. Uh, I think actually the very first one was Philip Jurgensen. actually. He was actually out uh, trying to uh, audio tape and record bird songs. And he noticed that when he, re- when he went back and he played back these bird songs, there was something else there. There were human voices that were nowhere near. He was out in the middle of a field or out in a the- meadow or wherever he was recording. Nobody else was out there, and he was not talking. Obviously, he was being very quiet trying to record these bird sounds. And then later on, you know, through, you know, people like Professor Hans Bender of Freeburg University, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Constantine Radovay, he wrote a book called The Breakthrough, uh, people like Sarah Easter from the American Association of Electronic Voice Phenomena, they all began to take pick up their tape recorders, pick up, at that time, those open real tape recorders and try to communicate with spirits. Now, in many, in many cases, these voices came through that often ans- answer questions of, sometimes even identified themselves, who they were. But in many cases, sometimes the, the sound wasn't always just perfect. The pitch wasn't just, just right. Uh, sometimes their, their voice would even come on the reverse or wrong side of recording tape. So you'd have to put a twist in the tape, play, play it forward, and then the sounds would come back in a normal tone. Um, now, I guess we're way beyond that. We're at the point now... Uh, way beyond even cassette tape recorders or, you know, you know what they call digital audio tapes, that uh, we're even to the point in t- time of digital, uh, 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 even beyond analog now, and we're, we're making progress in recording spirit voices on that. Now, the whole idea with you know, obviously communicating with spirits is that typically an EVP session or for electronic voice phenomena takes place as you sit in, in, a, in a location where you believe to have spirit activity or you're wishing to communicate with somebody you you ask a question you normally leave 20 seconds or so of blank space for the response you ask another question leave 20 seconds and so forth and so on until you complete complete your session then you go back you listen to the in-betweens questions to see if there's a response now that always bugged me because i mean you're doing an investigation several hundred miles away and then you get back home 700 miles away and then you listen to it, and you may have picked up the, the Class A EVP, but you're 700 miles away. So, so much for two-way communication. It's really kind of a one-sided communication. You didn't know that anything was recorded because the sounds didn't appear until, you know, or were heard in real time. They were only appeared on the recording device or the, the media. So, in this day and age, we have what's a lot of what's called these real-time EVP devices that you can actually hear a response in real time. Uh, some, some like the Ovilus, some of the Ghost Box or Spirit Boxes, uh, some actually digital recorders or, or uh, devices that you can actually you know, hear mm-hmm. the responses in real time. So you can actually hold a conversation, if you will, with what might be on the other side. And that's where the breakthrough comes in. Uh, where before it was one-sided, now you can hold basically a a conversation or at least attempt to hold a conversation. You can get a response, build a response to that response, and continue down that track. Now, some cases we have gotten communications uh, from several, uh, many uh, different, uh, I believe, uh, people have passed on that did hold conversations with us for many minutes.
0: All right, so if we're saying that we're we're communicating with pure energy here that has taken a different form, wouldn't it be possible, instead of traveling to all these different places that are haunted, to actually do it from one location, knowing how to communicate or how to focus... A call to uh, the spirit and have the spirit come to where you are, just like they do with mediums, and that brings up another possibility: are ghost researchers also mediums and challenge, channels?
2: Yeah, I mean, we don't know. The, the second part of the question, I mean, that could be very well be. I mean, people, I, I believe everybody is somewhat psychic or mm-hmm. somewhat intuitive. Uh, I mean, if you say you're not intuitive, uh, you, you are. You are intuitive. I mean, everybody has had things that have happened to them that may be deemed psychic or intuitive. Uh, the idea of, of, of producing or communicating from spirits from afar has always been something that's fascinated me, believe it or not, that 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 idea of uh, sort of like, you know, if you call it a better term, a spirit radio, literally to turn on a radio and be able to communicate from long distances, you know, through the airwaves, whether it comes through, you know, satellite, or if it comes through, you know, hard wires, mm-hmm. um, or even wireless. You know, like you know, the the, the old Marconi device, um, to actually get a communication from afar. I mean, that kind of device, you know, to my way of thinking, has not yet been developed. I mean, I don't know what it would, uh, what the implications are, or the science uh, the technology would be to, to d- to build such a device. I know in some of the the ghost boxes. With the spirit boxes, they do actually quickly scan the AMF and frequencies at a very, very high rate, sometimes as fast as six to seven channels per second, and you're getting entire responses and full sentences coming through. If you're scanning at that fast of a frequency, you're not picking up stray radio signals that simply came together to fill out an entire sentence like, get out of here, or my name is Joe, or something like that. It's just impossible to do were most likely picking up their spirits talking in the white noise between the stations, that kind of hiss between the radio stations. And if we were to develop something in those aspects that they could use as a carrier frequency, uh, even Sarah Estep, uh, way back in the 70s, would often use white noise in background, Mm -hmm. uh, which she said was sort of like for the spirits that they used for amplifying their voices uh, kind, of, kind of a, for lack of a better term, almost like a carrier wavelength. Yeah. You know, uh we uh, you know, white noise, there's there white noises, pink noise, all different kind of, different types of noises. And she got a lot of good responses when she used those types of devices. Now, the most recent ghost box that I'm going to be, uh, I just purchased here, uh, actually eliminates that kind of like the scanning between the stations where you hear the. It's just the voices simply will be coming through. And I think that'll be a little bit easier to hear what's being said because you don't have to disembed it, if you will, from the background hiss of these scanning frequencies that you're trying to uh, scan to make a communication.
0: But isn't there also a theory that what is being picked up by ghost researchers as EVPs and now through this this new technology is co- uh, that is coming out is simply thought transference from someone within the group?
2: That's always been a, a possibility as well. I mean, it, 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 it would be impossible, I believe, uh, to differentiate mm-hmm. uh, between the two unless the person that you're... That's why a lot of times we do investigations, in fact, all the times we do investigations in the private homes, when our group is brought in Literally, nobody in the group has told anything about where we're going. All they know is they're going to an allegedly a place that's haunted. Uh, They don't know anything about the history. Mm -hmm. They don't know anything about the phenomena. They don't know anything about the people we're going to see. So therefore, it's very scientific, I believe, that if they do pick up things when they're there, or if they pick up things in their recording devices, there's no way for them to have done prior research on that area before we got there so it couldn't have been at that at least in that aspect a, a, a possibility of thought transference uh... what you're picking up is most likely something coming from the other side
0: or how about yeah, how about they have the ability to pick up a psychic impression of something that was once there that is no longer there
2: oh absolutely and you know that again is something that a lot of psychics do Uh, employ. uh, Sometimes they they use what they call psychometry. Uh, They pick up feelings, emotions, um, past lives of of people that have lived there simply by entering into an environment. Uh, Psychics that are used for missing persons, and I have worked with a number of psychics that have worked with the police, in fact, in the past with missing persons, are often given articles of clothing, jewelry, uh, maybe a child's toy, in the, in the attempt to gather information or psychic impressions of, of uh, whether or not that person is still alive, where that person may be. Mm-hmm. And there have been you know, numerous police people that I've talked to, police officials that I've talked to, have said that they have been in many cases very helpful.
0: We're running out of time really fast. We've got about four minutes left. Um, what's coming up as far as the tours and excursions that you're doing?
2: Well, actually, uh, this this Saturday, we're actually heading out to Indianapolis, Indiana, and we're actually going to be part of a big meet and greet out there. And then after that, we're going to be investigating a site called Thornhaven Manor, uh, which is an old manor that dates back to about 1840, I believe. And uh, we're going to be spending the overnight in there uh, to do some investigative work. Uh, a little bit later in the year, uh, we're going to be heading out to, uh, in September, out to a place called Hillview Manor, which is an old insane asylum in... Um, newcastle pennsylvania and we seem to get our best evidence uh, by far at Mm -hmm. three different locations hospitals uh prisons and old insane asylums uh if you just think about that for a moment uh just think of of the things that happens in hospitals prisons and insane asylums especially ones uh the older insane asylums where they use uh, frontal lobotomies Mm -hmm. electric shock therapy uh, ice baths you know Chaining people down to the beds, um, we get a lot of interesting things from those locations. So we're looking forward to a couple of these investigations coming up uh, uh, later in the summer.
0: Why do people keep going back? Why do different organizations and different groups keep going back to the same old, same old, same old, same old? For example, Waverly, uh, right? If, you know, it, <laughs> why? Maybe do they, because they've
2: gotten some really, really good evidence. I mean, there's yeah. been some cases we we went back several times. Uh, to a couple places, Old South Pittsburgh Hospital in in, uh, uh, South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, Uh, also uh, um, uh, Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in western West Virginia. Both times we went to those locations, we've been there three or four times, we've gotten some amazing evidence. We've actually picked up and heard nine disembodied screams coming down the hallway, which actually people can go to my website and actually listen to some of those EVPs and those videos we've actually captured, and it's pretty Amazing. Uh, not This is beyond an EVP. This is a disembodied voice, something you hear in real time.
0: All right, so if your group has found this and you've got it online, why would other groups and other people want to go there? Is, is, is it getting to a point where there's there's a lack of respect for those who have passed being, being brought on by all this curiosity?
2: I think it's it's the second half of your statement. It's the curiosity factor. It's the curiosity of, am I going to have a paranormal experience when I go here? Is something going to happen to me? Am I going to be pushed? Am I going to be uh, scratched? Um, uh, Is is something going to show up on my digital recorder? Am I going to get an interesting picture? I mean, I think it's the wow factor, uh, unfortunately, that uh, drives a lot of people to go back to these locations. For me, it's the research of trying to, like I say, research the existence of life after Mm -hmm. death, Communicate with spirits, find out why they're still there. In many cases, if we if we possibly can, and um, uh, to kind of bridge that gap, where other people might simply be going there for the, the thrill of it.
0: Is a time where people should start backing away and showing uh, show a lot more respect for the dead.
2: Oh, I think absolutely. I mean, um, uh, you know, it's it's this is um, something that should I I believe should be left to you know. To serious paranormal investigators, but I mean, uh, yeah, exactly. there are so many, so many people out there, like I say, just they, they go in there for the thrill of it. People that join our group go through a regular interview process, so I make sure that by the time they walk out the door, um, and I have a very good feeling for where these people's mindset are, if they're wanting to join the group simply for th- a thrill mm-hmm. or simply to be a very serious researcher.
0: As always, Dale, time goes by so fast when you're with us, so let our listeners know how they can find out more about you and your excursions and the great work that you do.
2: Sure. They can go to my website, which is the easiest way. That's www.ghostresearch.org. I also have a a Facebook page on Facebook, um, a a Ghost Research Society page uh, on Facebook. Uh, Or they can uh, uh, contact me uh, uh, through the internet, uh, uh, through, through my email, which is simply at dale at yeah. ghostresearch.org.
0: Dale, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's always a great pleasure talking to you, and uh, thank you for the great work that you do. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate you take it. care of yourself, my friend. Exonation Nation, Dale Kaczmarek has been our guest, and uh, it's always great hearing someone who talks and makes sense, because God knows in this society... This is what we need more of. I'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the X-Zone with Dr. Donald K. Preston. And Don and I are going to be talking about Satanism and why the youth of today are so involved and interested in joining satanic cults and organizations at a speed never seen before in history. This is the X-Zone. I am Rob McConnell. And um, whatever you do, don't go away, because like I said, Don K. Preston and I will be back to discuss this and much more. Don't go away now.